It's your pal Siri. You have found the Ambiguously Blind Podcast, where we are challenging beliefs and revealing abilities that make people extraordinary. With your host, a guy that's great at hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, 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 greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. We are going to take a trip down under to Adelaide, South Australia, and visit with Bethany Cody. Bethany was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa about four years ago. For her, it was kind of out of the blue, and there wasn't any family history of RP, so she kind of had to go out of the loan and figure things out. So I want to check in with Bethany and see where she is on her journey with RP and how that works in the uh, land down under in Australia. I also have some crazy questions I want to ask her as a as an American that doesn't understand life in the uh, in the outback. I have some questions that she probably thinks will be crazy, but we'll just have to see. Hey, Bethany, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You come from the land down under. How are things down under today? Yes, they are cold and rainy and miserable. It's <laughs> mm, not good. Well, you're. I always find it fascinating. You're you're a day ahead of me um, where I am. So it's it's tomorrow for me. Um, again, I'm always happy that tomorrow happens. Yes, yes. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be cold and rainy here today tomorrow, but it'll be here, which is good news. Yes. <laughs> You are affectionately known in social media as the Grin Spoon Girl. We talked a little bit about that and your your music endeavors and, and the band. And I want to talk to you a little bit about music and things like that, too. But kind of want to start off with your uh, your journey with RP. We have something in common, a visual impairment. We come about them differently. But I think that's kind of what makes things unique and makes, you know, the world keep spinning is all of the differences that we have. But there are so many things in common. Tell me about your experience with uh, retinitis pigmentosa and kind of your your journey with that. And I, I may have some questions for you in, in, in there, but you also are kind of related in, in some way genetically with Usher syndrome. So how does that work with you? Yes. So I reckon I was maybe um, when I was around 13 to 15 years old, um, I started noticing I was having trouble seeing at nighttime. I later found out that that's called night blindness and over the years as I've grown older it's just sort of gotten worse and worse and um, it wasn't until like a routine checkup I had with my optometrist in 2018 that I brought it up so I sort of kept it to myself because I was a bit concerned and I didn't really want to acknowledge out loud that something might be wrong Mm -hmm. Um, but when I did um, my optometrist was like, yeah, your retinas are kind of thin. The night blindness is a bit concerning. Um, you should probably go see a specialist. And I think it was only a couple months after that I was diagnosed with RP. And my specialist, who I've been seeing now since um, my diagnosis, he said um, to get a better idea of the progression of things, um, you should probably look into getting um, genetic testing because I have no family history of RP. As far as we know, I'm the only one in my family that has it. Yeah, so I got my genetic test results and they revealed that I have um, an Usher syndrome gene. So 
Usher syndrome is combined vision loss and hearing loss. And I forget, I think there might be three main types and then the three main types have subsets within them. <laughs> so my gene is called USH2A or Usher syndrome 2A. And funnily enough, it is the gene with the most difference between someone could be profoundly deaf or someone could have no hearing loss at all. And yeah, that's that's where I fall into. Well, that's kind of a big category then. Yes, very broad. And do you have an experience in hearing loss? No, not not that I'm aware of. Um, and I've I have had a hearing test and the results came back completely normal. So, yeah. Well, that's good. Is there is that something you got to keep an eye on or should that be stable? My genetic counselor sort of said it, it's something you can look into for your own peace of mind, but he doesn't think um, that it's likely to to start happening. Oh, well, that's good news. Yeah. So the RP side of that, if I remember correctly, was around six or so years since you started noticing something that you were diagnosed. Is that about right? Yeah, sort of like early, early teenage years. So what does that like as far as, you know, teenage years? Those are, <laughs> those are some interesting years, right? So did, <laughs> did anything happen in there that you were noticing? Was it, was there noticeable changes? Can you point to certain things that happened that, you know, you noticed this or that, or was it so slight that it all just kind of came to you at, at once? It's interesting because I think in the beginning you can sort of brush it off as just being like clumsy or you're not paying attention. So I, a couple times, you know, would miss a few steps on a staircase um, and no one really thought anything of it. I didn't think anything of it. Um, the night blindness was definitely, definitely something I noticed, but sort of just brushed off as, okay, maybe I've just got sensitive eyes that need a bit of help in the dark. And I guess as well as that, I also started noticing these like visual distortions during the day or, or on like really bright days. Um, it's kind of similar to TV static and like really shimmery is the way that I describe it. But again, growing up, going blind was my number one fear. So I didn't really want to speak out loud, you know, that, that something might be up. Yeah, I can relate to that. There's you go through all the stages of grieving or acceptance and all those kind of things and and especially the younger you are, the easier it is to kind of slide into thinking about um trying to hide that kind of stuff. For for me when when my vision my vision change happened like almost, you know, practically overnight, so I didn't have any warning signs to it. There wasn't any kind of slow methodical journey into that it just kind of happened so you know you go through all the stages of all those things of acceptance and denial and all that and and um i certainly spent a lot of time in those stages so much so i think there's seven stages in the grieving process i think right i think so yeah i think so too i say i think so because um i got i just read the cliff notes versions I, it's only like three stages as far as i know which is not good um probably for my psyche or my uh <laughs> my uh <laughs> the way i do things but uh i just i just try to move through those as as quickly as i could so what was there an event that happened that you're like okay i gotta go get this checked out now um i don't think there was like a a big event or like moment but i was 
on my learner's license for my like driver's license. Yes. And I guess just the thought of like, look, this light, this night blindness isn't getting any better. It's actually getting worse. The visual distortions during the day are getting worse. I think it, it, it had just sort of all been building and I thought, I, I just need to tell someone. I just need to to go to my optometrist and say, look, I think, yeah, something might be wrong here. Did you have an optometrist? Like, did you normally go to the optometrist or was this kind of a special thing? Uh, yeah, every every six months. So it wasn't anything unusual? No. And do you remember when they finally told you that? Like, did it did it all make sense at that time or did it? How did you receive that information? It was it was pretty scary. I remember sitting in the the room, the testing room, and when I brought up the night blindness, my optometrist he said, "Okay, we're just going to do an experiment." So he turns the light off and he holds up a like a pen, and he tells me to just like track the pen as he moves it side to side, mm-hmm. and there must have been like some kind of lag unbeknownst to me. Um, and I sort of hear from the darkness him thinking out loud, like, mm, okay, interesting. And he turns the light back on. And I think he took like a another scan of my retinas. And he's like, yeah, they're really thin. I've seen problem. I've seen people with sim- like thin retinas as well. And there's there's been no problem. But the night blindness thing is is definitely something um, concerning. So he said, um, yeah, we'll send you off to a specialist and hopefully get some more answers. And at this point, what did you know about RP? Funnily enough, uh, one of my best friends in high school, Jordan, um, he has RP as well. So I sort of had a like really, really basic understanding of RP even though the form of RP that he has was quite aggressive and he started to lose his vision as a, as a young kid. So, so it was sort of like floating around in the air. Like I sort of briefly knew about it, but it definitely wasn't something that I, I would have thought that I had. Um, besides Jordan, that, that was your only experience really with RP. You don't have any, any sibling or family history of RP anywhere, right? Yeah, no, no history. And I've heard you say that that kind of the diagnosis and your journey through those years at least was was kind of isolating and lonely. Did you have anybody to really bounce things off? Was Jordan a good resource for you? Unfortunately, (laughs) uh, around the time that I was diagnosed, we weren't in like super close contact. Just we'd sort of not really drifted apart, but since high school ended, you know, unless you make a concerted effort to like keep up with people you kind of fall off a bit and I think for Jordan he's amazing because he's just so resilient and he's never as I understand it he's never let his blindness hold him back so RP for him at least as I see it has never been like an issue or something to overcome or a massive obstacle. Where did you go for help with with you where where when the in the isolation and the loneliness did you was the internet a player did you were there resources locally for assistance and maybe like O&M training or did 
did the specialist give you some sort of roadmap for the road ahead or how things will be progressing? Uh, so after my first appointment with my specialist, the like the official diagnosis, he gave me a two-page, two or three-page like info booklet on retinitis pigmentosa. And it was kind of like, look, we're really sorry. There's nothing we can really do to help. There's like no um, trials at the moment. It's progressive. Um, there's no cure. Just try to look after your health and stay positive. And, you know, we're, we're here if anything else comes up, basically. So it's sort of like I was I was let out into the world to defend for myself a little bit, which, yeah, that was really hard coming home and telling everyone the news and how like, you know, it's not looking great. Um, there's no cure. I can't just take this pill and hey, presto. And it took me a really long time to to open up about that, how, how difficult it is trying to navigate that yourself. And eventually I did. I, I went on the internet and started talking about what was happening to me and, and how hard it was. And not long after that, I found the visually impaired community online. And that's just it's really taken me out from an incredibly dark place and I I definitely feel like I have a new lease on life now and it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but it's not all rainy days either. It's, um, yeah, it's been really good. That's one of the great things about the internet. It connects people, which I think is one of the main intentions there of the internet, but there's a, a pretty good community for the, uh, the VIP, the vision impaired people community and it's uh, there's there's a lot of great resources and, and and even podcasts and youtube and websites and all that stuff to uh you you can pretty much find what you're looking for now and then you can find information and um support and community and i think that's pretty important and it sounded like it was pretty important to you too absolutely okay and so you're i don't think we mentioned this earlier from adelaide Yes, Adelaide, born and bred. <laughs> Did Adelaide have, or does it have currently, resources for people with RP or visual impairments? Are there are there places or there government agencies that assist people? There are, yes. Um, Were they there for you at the time you needed them initially? I wish I could say yes. Um Unfortunately, around the time I was diagnosed, I think that was the furthest thing from my mind, um, just going through that initial grief and um, my specialist didn't give me any resources to like, hey, check out this organization or I'll put you in contact with such and such, unfortunately. Um, so I've sort of had to seek these things out myself and I really wish I could be more positive, but there's been a lot of red tape in me accessing um, services from certain organizations. Um, and a lot of it, unfortunately, has to do with money. Here in Australia, we have a scheme called the National Disability Insurance Scheme, which is like a, a program funded by the Australian government to fund services for people with disabilities. So historically, People with disabilities um, have a lot of trouble um, getting a job and keeping a job and being paid properly and, like, legally. And the NDIS is sort of like 
not like a middleman, but it's supposed to help us access these services that we need to live like full, healthy, fulfilled lives. And unfortunately, <laughs> um, this scheme is also covered in red tape and bureaucracy and discrimination. And it's really difficult to get help from them and then be able to access um, like services we need. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I'm trying to not fight the system, but keep knocking on their door saying, hey, you know, I still need help, please. <laughs> yeah, it's tough to hear that. That's terrible. I thought Australia was better than that for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like the uh, avenues are not as, as plentiful as, as you think they should be or they, they should be anyway, right? Yeah, the the journey to or, or the pathway to, to getting help is a bit um there's lots of roadblocks it seems, yeah. That's not doing anybody any favors cuz you got enough roadblocks as it is. Yeah, yeah. Where do you think you are? Do you know do you have a clinical definition or you kind of have a sense for uh your your visual acuity? Yeah, so at my last specialist appointment in March, I think it was March this year. We were discussing um, accessing, trying to access the NDIS, and it it seems to me that the NDIS only recognizes blindness when you are legally blind. So if you have a visual impairment, but your degree of vision is over twenty degrees, which is the like legal definition of blindness or legal blindness, it, it seems that the NDIS doesn't doesn't really recognize that or think you need help. Um, but uh, unbeknownst to me. My specialist said, yeah, your degree of vision is somewhere between 15 and 10 degrees. So, okay. So you're just below. Yeah. You're under the line. Or yeah. Over, or over and, the line, however you want to say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a, that, that was a huge shock because I thought, you know, hey, I'm still relatively independent. I can get around. I can catch a bus with, you know, some difficulty, but I can still do it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not bashing into things left, right, and center. I thought my degree of vision would be much more than that, but apparently not. Do you use any sort of uh, assistive, uh, like what, a cane or service animal or anything like that that would at least identify your, you as visually impaired? I don't use it all the time, um, but in like really crowded situations, I have an ID cane or identification cane. It's like a mini white cane without a like a marshmallow tip it's got a pencil tip and they're um they're designed more for the public to uh, to see you as someone who's visually impaired as opposed to a tool that helps you like navigate mm -hmm. yeah and i wanted to to get one just because i felt like you know if you look at me from the outside you can't see what I see or what I don't see, you 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 won't know that I'm blind or or um, visually impaired, and in crowded situations it can get a bit dicey. Yeah, there's times where yeah where you want people to know, so you you can relate with being ambiguously blind. Then it sounds like I definitely can. Yes. Have there been lots of situations where you've been doing something or been somewhere where the ID cane would really have come in handy, and you wish you'd had it earlier? Yeah. Um, Gosh, how many months ago? I forget how many months ago, but 
um, my partner Alec and I um, we're big football fans. Um, okay, hold Aussie on, rules. hold on a minute. Football. <laughs> Let's talk about what football means. That's rug- okay. Do we call that rugby here, or is that no American it's Australia- football? Australian rules football. Okay. Yes, it's very very different. Okay. We uh, we like to call it footy footy here footy. in um, okay. Australia. Yeah. So who's your team? Port Adelaide. Um, hold on, I'm scanning my memory for Australian rules football. Is there a team? Is All Blacks? Is that a team? Uh, that's rugby. Okay. See, I don't. I I have no idea what I'm talking <laughs> about. So go ahead. Yeah. Um. So here in South Australia, there's only two football teams. There's the Adelaide Crows and Port Adelaide. Um. So my partner and I go. We barrack for um. Port Adelaide and we were at Adelaide Oval to watch them play live and as we were coming up to the entrance gates so this is before you know the match started we're just arriving I'm holding um Alex's hand you know just so we can keep together we mm-hmm. know yep. he can like guide me to where we need to go um and this was at night so a night game um which is not great for me <laughs> We're just walking up to the entrance gates and suddenly I bump into a woman on my right and she makes a really snarky comment as if I had, you know, deliberately walked into her and it's like, look, I'm really sorry. I didn't see you. You're in my blind spot. But at the time I I was just too taken aback to really to like say anything or apologize and explain myself and my visual impairment. And Mm, it just struck me like, Un- exactly like uh, unless you have a cane or a guide dog it's just not obvious to others yeah it's hard to describe especially when you have a situation like that because you need like 10 minutes maybe to unpack all that and in, in the case here the person's upset so they're probably not going to listen anyway so yeah those are yeah. challenging situations and speaking of uh, challenging situations because I, I don't know what Australian rules football is exactly because uh, I'm a I'm a bloody American. So I have some questions for you. This is going to be like quick hits Australian style. Okay. So I don't want you to be offended by this. Uh, you call it football, right? Australian rules football. Yep. Okay. You know what yep. in America we call football. Are you familiar with that sport? Uh, well, don't you guys just call it football? Yeah. Well, yeah, we call it football. I mean, do you know any teams? Do you have any American teams you root for in, in football? Oh, I mean, the first thing that comes, no, no, that's Australian. Is it? You don't have the Broncos, do you? Yeah, Denver Broncos. They're in Colorado. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay, so you're a Broncos fan. I won't hold that against you. That's okay. That's good. That That's just the first thing that came to my mind. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm going to ask you some questions. Please don't be offended, okay? Yeah. Okay, so how many times a day or a week do you see kangaroos? I, I'd say I'd be lucky if I saw a kangaroo in the wild, um, maybe once or twice a year. Okay, so not that often. Speaking of the wild, what's the outback and what happens in the outback and where is the outback? Okay. Um, That's a lot of questions. The outback? It's all about the outback. Tell me about the outback. <laughs> I think uh, colloquially, the outback is just sort of like the very middle of Australia where it's the conditions and the temperatures are sort of too hot, a little bit too hostile for um, for us to live. Most of Australia, we live around the coast. And a little bit inland. Yeah, so the outback is kind of like, you know, like the deserts in Nevada, 
Yes, okay. Kind of like that, where, yeah, it's just a whole lot it's of... It's kind of barren land, I guess. Earth and, yeah. 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 Okay, all right. So you're going to watch television, and you've only got two choices. You can either watch Crocodile Dundee or The Crocodile Hunter. Reruns of The Crocodile Hunter. What, what are you watching? Wow. Um, I don't think I've seen either, um, but I think I'll go the latter, Crocodile okay. Hunter. Do you, do you have a boomerang? I do not, no. Okay. Okay, tell me, uh, let's talk a little bit about food. You call it, you say, you say you're a, a foodie, at least online. Uh, Vegemite. Do you like Vegemite? What's it taste like? I do. I love Vegemite. Um, in moderation, because um, it's very strong. Um, have you heard of Bovril in the UK? No. So, how can I describe it? it it's like a, a wheat byproduct i'm pretty sure so it's kind of it doesn't taste grainy but yeasty okay it's like a and very salty right it's like a spread yes. or something yeah. yeah and you put it on a yeah. sandwich or something or bread or toast or you just eat it with a spoon. yeah you can eat it with a spoon um i did used to do that when i was a kid not so much these days okay and is it a byproduct does it have something to do with beer production I think it's just wheat. Okay. Yeah. Do Does everybody in Australia drink Foster's beer all the time? Is that the only beer you could find there? Um, I think, hmm. I want to say like Cooper's is a really big brand here in Australia. Okay. I don't personally drink it, but yeah, I think Cooper's. Well, in America, Foster's is Australian for beer. So. Really? I, that's, what, that's what they claim. So okay, apparently, interesting. Apparently that's some good marketing, huh? Yeah. And while we're on the marketing element of things in the Outback, there's a, there's a steakhouse in, in America called Outback Steakhouse. Are you familiar with this at yep. all? Yes, I have heard of it. Do you think I'm getting the real Outback experience when I go to the Outback Steakhouse and have a have a Bloomin' Onion? You don't even think we get Bloomin' Onions here in Australia, <laughs> so probably not. <laughs> okay. All right, uh, and you're the Grinspoon girl, so you like music and bands and what have you. So uh, besides Grinspoon, the the biggest bands to come from Australia, who do you consider that to be like as far as prominent bands? So uh, does Men at Work qualify? Uh... Familiar with <laughs> Men at Work? Okay, that's okay. I, I, know, the, I know the name, but... Um... Colin yeah. Hay, the lead singer. No, okay. What about uh, Crowded House? I have heard of Crowded House, okay. but and... I'd have to hear one of their songs. Okay. Um, gosh, what's the name of that song? Well, Minute Work, it's Down Under, is their their big jam. Uh, Crowded House is Don't Dream It's Over. That's a great one. You should check out Crowded House, Don't Dream It's Over. Um, that's a great one. Okay. How about, uh, I don't know if I said, did I say NXS? Yes, yeah, they they were a really big one. Yes, they were. Yeah. And I saw a note that ACDC is from Australia, which um, surprised me. I don't know if you know ACDC, but they were pretty big here. I definitely do. 80s and yes. 80s anyway, so okay. Okay, so that's all the blasphemous uh, Australian questions I have as a crazy American, so sorry about that. <laughs> Tell me more about your work. It sounds kind of to me like you do some work with a organization that's maybe helping 
sounds like there's a, a, a need for some help for people with, with disabilities or other types of abilities. And you do some work with that organization? Yeah. Um, so I'm an employee of children, um, children and young people with disabilities, Australia or CYDA, C-Y-D-A for short. Um, they're based in Victoria and yeah, I was really lucky to get my, my first ever job with them, um, doing some remote work from home. Cause obviously, you know, I'm here in Adelaide. Yeah, we, we were a part of their youth council, um, inaugural youth council where, um, I forget how many there were of us, but there's a group of young people with disabilities um, from all over Australia getting to use our experiences um, and like lived experience as well um, with disability to to help others and change, you know, even things from a governmental level um, just to, to really equal bring in equality and greater accessibility. Yeah. It's been um, really rewarding. Does your, your RP obviously plays, it plays a role in that. Do you, do you work with mostly children with visual impairment or is it span the, the gamut of disability? Yeah, it, it's definitely more generalized. So obviously I, I come from a, a point of visual impairment, um, just making sure that, you know, we've got image descriptions, alt text, um, good contrast, um, those kinds of things. But the real work is writing because you are uh, you're a writer at heart anyway, right? Yes, I, I like to think so. <laughs> so what do you what do you write about? Um, so I write uh, mostly fiction. I've been writing since I was a very young kid, um, short stories, fiction. Um, as I got older, sort of um, my, my favorite genre is like horror or like thriller. So my stories sort of as I got older kind of took on took on that genre but nowadays I wish I could write more and write more fiction but I find I sort of want to write more about my experiences with you know retinitis pigmentosa or losing my vision do you are there avenues for you to do that do you have do you blog or do you uh where, where can we find some of your work um, I've, I've thought about starting a blog, but I have absolutely zero idea how to start a website. So that, that sort of kept me back from starting a blog, but I've been incredibly lucky to write for a couple blogs. Um, I've been published like some poetry, um, short stories and life writing, um, in a couple of different literary journals and, um, magazines for people with disabilities. Um, yeah, I've been really fortunate that there's been quite a few places that have accepted my writing and welcomed it and like given me the opportunity um, to share. Awesome. So if we want to connect with uh, you on social media, is is Instagram the best place to do that? Yes. Yes. We'll link to all of your social media uh, handles down below in the show notes as well, but what is your Instagram handle? My handle is at Grinspoon Girl. There you go. It all comes back to music. <laughs> all right, Bethany. Well, thanks a bunch for uh, joining us. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.